Well, thank you very much, uh, Kathy, for leading us in scripture reading. And thank you also, Ashley, for... Uh, uh, no, sorry, Kathy did the prayer. And thank you, Ashley, for reading the scripture passage for us this morning. Uh, we didn't actually read the whole story. What we read in uh, Luke chapter 8 here was a story within a story. There's a, a miraculous healing that happens within a miraculous healing. It's actually kind of unique among the Gospels. The, the bigger story is that uh, Jairus, a leader uh, in the local synagogue, comes to Jesus. His daughter is sick, and he asks Jesus to come heal her. Uh, of course, Jesus um, stops along the way and has this interaction with the woman, and then he continues his journey after discovering that Jairus' daughter is dead, and then he raises this little girl from the dead. Um, the whole thing is one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, but this story in particular about this woman with bleeding, and it's a very short story within the, the broader uh, story, is certainly, uh, I think, my favorite healing story in all of the Gospels. Because what it does is, is it, in a very vivid way, it it shows us that Jesus actually came into this world to do more for us than we could have ever imagined. Uh, most people, when they think of the Christian faith and they think about what did Jesus come to do for believers, well, he, he came to die on the cross to save us from our sins. That's what many of us who, who have been believers since we were very young were taught, even as young children, and that is absolutely true. And it's kind of at the core of what Jesus came to do. But he came to do so much more. One of the great things that Jesus came to do was to actually adopt us as the spiritual children of the God who saved us from our sins. The Westminster Confession of Faith talks about this doctrine of adoption this way. It says, to be adopted is to receive God's name and to have access to God's throne, to his pity, his protection, his provision, his discipline, and his promise to never abandon us. Now, I don't know how much you know about world religions, but I can assure you, no other religion in the entire world offers anything even close to this. That we would have such a close, meaningful intimate, personal relationship with the God who created the entire universe, that he would actually call us his sons and call us his daughters. It is astounding. You see, to be forgiven is great, but to be adopted, it's even greater. And this story is, it's the illustration par excellence of that doctrine, the doctrine of adoption. So what I'd like to do with us this morning for a few minutes is just unpack it, just open it up and explore it with you and make a couple of applications. So here we go. You know, verses uh, 43 and 44, they tell us an awful lot in a very short period of time. It says, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, that is Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding was stopped. Okay. 
the picture we have here is of a woman with this chronic health condition. She has this bleeding, and scholars have debated exactly what is going on, but they mostly agree that it had something to do uh, with her femininity. And she had had this condition for some 12 years. Chronic. Can you imagine? No, I could not. Now, that's bad enough as it is, but the, the verses tell us a little bit more. It says that no one could heal her. Now, I'm borrowing from Mark's uh, account of this story in his gospel to fill it out a little bit. It wasn't just that nobody could heal her. She spent all her money on doctors trying to find some kind of cure for her condition. And she wasn't able to get better. And in fact, Mark says, she got worse. So the picture we have here is of probably a physically diminished woman who is financially ruined by this medical condition. So she is a picture, uh, she is a pathetic picture that we're supposed to pity. But, you know, uh, there's another side to her problem that makes things even worse than just the picture of a physically diminished and financially destitute woman. Because, you see, her physical condition, condition wasn't the worst thing about her condition. She had lived with it for some 12 years. And even though it was chronic and it was debilitating, she was able to live with it. She was obviously able to get around. It hadn't killed her. I mean, verse 42 says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him, which means that um, there was this, this, this large crowd pressing about him. Think of, uh, you know, sports figures or celebrities when they're, you know, trying to get from their hotel to their car and all the press is pushing around them. This is kind of the image you get. But what we discover is, is that this woman was somehow able to push through that and get to Jesus. So she was, to some degree, able-bodied. But the social and religious consequences of her condition were devastating. According to Levitical law, and you can look this up in Leviticus uh, chapter 15, because of her condition, this woman was considered ritually unclean. And that meant that if she came into contact with anything or anyone, whatever she touched or came into contact with, that thing would become unclean as well. Now, here's the consequences of that. That means that this woman was unable to share a home. We don't know if she was married at one time. We don't know if she uh, had any children. We don't know, but we'd, we'd, and we don't know if she had any siblings, but we do know that even if she was married and had kids or had siblings, she would not have been able to be in their presence. She couldn't eat her meals with the family she couldn't go out into the marketplace or uh, uh, along with the other women uh, during the course of a day and, and shop for her family because she wasn't allowed to be around those people. And worst of all, she was not able to go to the synagogue to worship. She was cut off from the community. Every day she woke up and she thought to herself, God himself has cut me off from his community. Now, what that means, friends, is it's hard for us to imagine. That meant that this woman was nearly a complete outcast in this community. Maybe not quite on the level of lepers, but 
she was ostracized from almost everyone and everything, any kind of communal activity. You think it was hard to spend a few months uh, in isolation during COVID, and it was hard. And, the, and you hear the stories of how uh, mental illness was uh, increased radically during that time because people were depressed and feeling anxiety because they didn't have social interaction. Well, imagine having this for 12 years. And you know what this means as well, is that for her to do what she did, to try to get to Jesus, she took a tremendous risk, a huge risk. Because you see, if she's recognized by all these crowds that are around uh, trying to look at Jesus and uh, get a piece of Jesus, so, so to speak, the last shred of dignity that she might have had would be completely stripped from her. And yet, she goes for it. Like, think about it. She, she has to push through this crowd. So she's touching all kinds of people. And she actually has it in her head that she is going to touch Jesus, this venerable rabbi who we know, I know, like I said, we didn't read it, but uh, Jairus, who was a, a leader in the local synagogue, when he comes to ask Jesus for help, he actually, it says, he falls down at, um, at Jesus' feet and pleads with him. And this woman has the audacity to touch him. Yeah. You know why? Because she has hit absolute rock bottom. She has nothing to lose. She has tried everything else. So this is kind of her last chance. And you know, the reality is, friends, is that every single one of us, if we're going to come to Jesus, we have to identify with the desperate state that this woman found herself in. Too many of us refuse to change unless the pain of staying the same is worse than the potential pain of the change that we need to make. Not until you and I understand that that we've been trying to save ourselves through our work or through sex or through our reputation or through the accumulation of wealth and things or through our marriage or through our family or through our career. Not until we come to find that all those things cannot save us, but we know we desperately need to be healed like this woman did and we've tried everything else and we realize that we've come up empty. Only then, when we are completely and utterly desperate, will we do whatever it takes to just touch Jesus and have his power enter us. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. This woman, she does it, okay? She does it. She reaches out and she touches his cloak. Luke says that he touches, she touches the edge of his robe. Now, um, Orthodox Jews, you may see sometimes they have robes with, with tassels hanging on them. They look like just kind of frayed threads. Maybe that's all she touched. Just a thread. Just maybe got her fingertips on it, but instantly... She's healed. 
It's unbelievable. She feels the power of Christ go through her and she is healed. Now, this is where the story gets very interesting, okay? Because it says that she tried to slip away unnoticed. But Jesus, interestingly, won't let her. He stops, right? And he starts seeking out the culprit. He says, somebody touched me. And he, he won't let this go. And you know, it's funny because Peter, <laughs> Peter says, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Peter's saying, look, everybody's touched you. <laughs> everybody's touched you. What do you mean somebody touched me? But somebody touched Jesus in a way that was different than the crowds. You see, the crowds, they were looking for a, a curiosity, Jesus was interesting. They were, it was almost like they were hoping to catch a glimpse of a celebrity that was in town. He was the latest news of the day, but this woman, she touched him with a different kind of touch. She touched him with a touch of desperation. She touched him with faith. She didn't have everything figured out. She didn't understand exactly who Jesus was and what he could do. She just knew deep in her soul that he was her last chance. And he reaches out and he touches her and she wants to just kind of get away. She wants to kind of just disappear back into the crowd. She got her healing, go back on her way. And Jesus, strangely enough, will not let her. Listen to verse 47. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. So you got to picture the scene. The woman's been caught. She knows. Maybe Jesus' eyes locked on her and he saw into her soul and she just knew he knew. And she's terrified. But she's drawn back to him. And as she, as she makes her way to Jesus, you know, the crowd kind of uh, starts to understand a little bit what's going on and they sort of part uh, and make way for her. And as she's making her way towards Jesus, maybe uh, they start to see, well, oh, that's a look of recognition comes over their faces and they go, oh, I know who that is. And, and that's the woman who's unclean. What's she doing out in public at this time of day in this crowd? And, and, and they, they kind of recoil in disgust at seeing her because they know that, that she's kind of made them unclean. And then they hear that somehow she's touched the rabbi. How dare she do that? How could she, the audacity and the gall that she would actually reach out her hand and defile the rabbi this way. And she comes to Jesus and she, she is trembling with fear and a look of horror on her face and she just falls at Jesus' feast and she confesses it all and she just lets it all out and all the eyes of the crowd are on Jesus. And maybe they held their breath and they waited. They waited for Jesus to give her what for. They waited for Jesus to rain down his judgment on her and condemn her for the horrible sinner that she is. But instead, with just one word, Jesus gives this woman more than she could have ever bargained for. He looks at her and he says, daughter. 
It's the only place in the Gospels anywhere where Jesus does this. She says, he says, daughter. And the gasp that must have arisen from the crowd all around them. Because the, the crowd wanted judgment. Jairus was furious that this woman had interrupted Jesus' important mission to go help his poor daughter who was sick and dying. Maybe even the, the disciples were expecting a rebuke. I mean, they're the ones who, when, when parents tried to bring their kids to Jesus to bless them, they were rebuking parents and saying, get away. What are you wasting his time with this silliness for? But instead, Jesus says to her, daughter, You are adopted. You are saved. You are brought in. You belong. You are mine. You are delighted in. You are loved. You are cherished. Because you see, that's what she really needed to hear. This woman hoped that Jesus could possibly heal her body, maybe out of superstition, maybe just because of her desperation. Maybe her faith was probably not all that strong and, and probably not all that accurate. But Jesus, you see, he is the one that Isaiah said, that Isaiah prophesied about, that Isaiah said was coming. He's the one who who. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is so kind. He is so compassionate. He is so gentle with her. Because what she really needed was soul healing. Think about this. Twelve years with this condition, that's bad. The physicality of the condition, it's bad. But what is 12 years of, of a life of being ostracized, of being an outcast, of being told that you are unclean and, and hearing those words, you are unclean, you are impure, you are unfit for the communion of the saints and for the, for the people of God. 12 years of being told you are dirty and unacceptable. She knew. They, they all knew. Healed or not, she was still penniless. She was still friendless. And according to Levitical or rabbinical law, anyway, she was still cut off from, cut off from God. And she had tried to alleviate this problem any way she could. She spent everything she had on doctors, but it was no good. Years of trying had not just crushed her body, they had crushed her spirit. And with one word, with one word, Jesus undid all that damage. Her body may have been healed by his touch, but her soul was healed by his voice. You belong. You are loved. You are not repulsive to the Father. You are delighted in so much that he calls you his own child. Let the community know it. I declare you clean. Man, what a story. 
What a picture. And, and you know, there, there, are, there are so many ways to apply this message. There's, there's so many things that it touches on, but I'm just going to apply it three ways for us today, and then I'm done. First of all, I don't typically like to ask questions in a message because sometimes I, I feel like it can be manipulative, but, but I feel compelled to do so this morning. Have you come to the end of yourself? Are you, are you desperate enough to touch Jesus? Have you, have you come to the point where you've seen the poverty, the emptiness, the futility of trying to find your security, your identity, your worth, and all these other things that ultimately cannot heal you? Have you come to that place? One of the things you see here is that if, if you come to that place and you're afraid, maybe you're watching this and you're, you're, you've not put your trust in Jesus. And, and, and one of the reasons you've not put your trust in Jesus is because you are afraid of being rejected. I, I have talked to so many people and I invite them to worship and I invite them to, to, know, to, to explore the Christian faith a little bit. One of the things I, I often hear from them is, is I'm, not, I'm not good enough to go to church I'm not good enough for God. We look at all these old stories and we think, oh, these ancient people, they're, they're so weird with all their clean and unclean laws and they're worried about being uh, ritually pure and ritually clean and we laugh it off and say, oh, it's just so archaic and, 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 and old-fashioned and silly and it's, you know, it's the stuff of simpler people in a simpler time. Friends, do you not realize that so many of us right here, right now, are walking around with guilty consciences, afraid to reveal our true selves to anyone because we think we are the dirtiest, ugliest, shameful thing on the planet. And if anybody knew what we were really like, we would be rejected outright. In the Old Testament, when something unclean touched something clean, the unclean thing made the clean thing unclean. And some of you know what that's like. <laughs> we had maggots in our garbage last week. It was so gross. You know, don't put meat in the garbage during summer. And we try to be careful not to do that, okay? And my wife found them. And I heard her, like, scream. Paul! There's maggots! Blah, 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 all kinds of other stuff. And she, she got control of herself, but when she first saw it, she was, she was, like, totally grossed out. And I do remember her saying at one point, just by being around those maggots, she felt like she needed a shower. 
because it's so gross and dirty and filthy and you feel like you're made unclean, dirty and gross and filthy just by being around it. But here's the great thing about the gospel. Jesus is greater and more powerful than your filth and your guilt and your sin that when you touch him, he makes you clean. You don't make him unclean. He makes you clean. Because when he died on the cross, he was treated as though he were unclean. He was treated as though he were the sinner. He was treated as though he were defiled so that you and I, when we touch him after, when we touch him, we're made clean. Second thing, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, very simple one, remember you are adopted, not just forgiven. You are adopted, not just forgiven, which means you have God's name. You are Christian. You are son or daughter of God, and, and you have access to his throne, meaning you can go to him anytime with anything because you're a child, and you will experience his pity, his protection, his provision, his discipline, and his promise to never, ever, ever abandon you. Are you living in that hope? Are you waking up every day in that kind of strength? you got to remind yourself of that. And then the third one. This story teaches us that our adoption is more precious than our health. Our adoption is more precious than our health. You know, that, that woman, she tried to slink away with the physical healing, but Jesus recalled her. Get back here. Why? To give her the restoration that she really needed. The truth is, my friends, that woman died. She got sick again, eventually, and she died. And you and I will too. This life is a beautiful gift. And health in this life is a beautiful gift. But the truth is, this life is fleeting. Psalm 103 says, As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes. And its place remembers it no more. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 4. No, 1 Peter 1. <laughs> all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The, glass, the grass withers, and the flowers fall. We're heading into fall, and we're starting to see our flowers wilt. These beautiful annuals that have been blooming all summer long, they're starting to lose their blooms because they're dying. Now, we don't like to think about that, okay? I get it, but it's, it's the truth. And you see, the gospel 
is not just about now. It is about now. Look at this woman. She was physically healed. She was returned to the community. She got to live the rest of her life in the sure knowledge that she was a child of God. What a gift. What a joy. But it is also about then. You experience God's fatherhood now, but you will know God's fatherhood in all its purity and all its glory forever in the next life. And for those of you who are suffering, particularly under physical conditions, chronic conditions, this can be a comfort to you. Just like, just like Paul said, therefore we do not lose heart. This is 2 Corinthians 4. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary trouble is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So... We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The story teaches us, have an eternal perspective, friends. Revel in the greatest gift of all, your adoption as a child of God, which cannot be taken away from you and which will echo into eternity. Let's pray. Gracious Father, help us, help us, help us, we pray to, to bask in our adoption, to be the most joyful, peaceful, non-anxious, ridiculously well-adjusted people on the planet full of hope and confidence because we are your sons and daughters. Thank you for that incredible gift. Thank you that you, thank you, that you do forgive our sins, that we, we need not fear you because our guilt has been taken away, but thank you that that's not all. That's just the beginning. The beginning of the many benefits you give us as your children. We praise you and we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.